I try to convey that message that, listen, guys, when you get dispatched to these calls, first of all, when you get dispatched to this missing kid, first of all, that family looked around for that kid at least 45 minutes before they had the, got the courage to call you, right? They, they, we don't just pick up the phone. My, my son's been missing five minutes sending the police. No, mm -hmm. that's not how it works. First of all, they're afraid of us. That's a major message. Like parents are scared to death to call the police for help with their special needs child. And that bothers me on a lot of levels. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. Me, host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training, and Frankie, our podcast producer, is finally back and not being selfish by bringing his kids to Disney World. I don't know who you think you are leaving this job to go and do dad things, but we have a good episode today. Jerry Turning is going to be here. We're talking about autism training, children with autism. It's important stuff for everybody to know, and people don't realize what it's like to be a family member of somebody who is handicapped or being a law enforcement officer who is responding to a location or to a service call with somebody who does not communicate in the same way that others communicate, who doesn't understand what's going on. And, you know, I live this myself, too. I don't care if you're familiar with the fact that uh, I have a disabled older brother. You know that? I had heard that. I heard yeah, you yeah. on a podcast mention him. Yeah. yeah, so I'm a guardian to my disabled older brother, and there have been times where there had to be police intervention. And, you know, fortunately enough, there have been thoughtful enough police officers that have shown up and, uh, you know, it's just, it's the nature of it. I'm not, I can't be embarrassed by it because it's something that he can't help or I can't help. Uh, but the intervention was appropriate. Thank God. And I got to tell you, the most recent one wasn't too long ago from a young guy. And I was impressed with the way he handled the situation. And I said, you know, where'd you, uh, he said, oh, we actually had some decent training on this for some, and that's, I'm not going to speak of the agency that did it uh, because I don't want to, have anybody look into him or what he did that day. He just, he really put the bullshit to the side and did his job as a human being instead of trying to do his job uh, under the color of law. So yeah. tell us about who you are and why you're here and you know how you got into this stuff. Hi, my name is Jerry Turning. I'm a retired captain from a municipal police department here in New Jersey. I retired about two and a half years ago. Uh, retirement is glorious, by the way. Highly recommended if you can pull it off. Um, I do this now. Uh, when I retired, I... Uh, I created a company, it's called Blue Bridge Autism Training, and I, I deliver this, this training, this autism response training, and I deliver actionable, real world, look, what you need to know uh, training to cops and first responders uh, around the country. And it's, um, it's been a blast, man. It's been my calling, and I, I truly love every day I wake up and, and get to do this. And uh, it's, it's been absolutely amazing. And I got to tell you that your story about that officer who, who got it, who, who I was prepared that that wouldn't be the norm when I got into this. I, I was maybe a little pessimistic about, about our field. And uh, I've got to tell you from talking to cops around the country and, and hearing more stories that most of them do get it. And most of them are human beings now. Um, and uh, it's really changed my perspective on it and maybe more optimistic. I think the generation uh, understands humanity a little bit more. Maybe it is generational. It, it may be. Yeah, it may be. Well, there's less judgment in this generation. Uh, you know, I mean, believe me, I, I don't want to give examples of how I know that, but it's the truth. They're a little more accepting. I'm not saying there's not toxic work environments and all that other shit too, but I got to tell you, younger generations now, early 20s, they are just significantly less judgmental, um, you know, uh, uh, on a lot of things. They have their own 
thoughts and beliefs, usually independent of what was maybe impressed upon them by their parents. I think exposure is a lot of it too. I think the, the numbers are what the numbers are, and 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 the the number of of individuals who have special needs have some kind of uh, disability, have some kind of um, some kind of challenge. I think there there there's exposure now. We're back in the '80s, back in the early '90s. These these kids were put a, put in a, in a corner classroom, right? They were they were they were they were separated. Not 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 out of malice, but it was just way it was way it was done. Mm -hmm. Now these kids growing up, they're not kids anymore. They're kids to me, kids to you, but kids in their twenties, um, they went through a different school system where where they these individuals with special needs and challenges were integrated more, and there was a lot more exposure. So, so I think you're seeing the fruit of that bear now when these guys become cops. Um, it ain't new. It's not new. It's not something they're just jumping into. They've seen these individuals, been exposed to them, maybe even be friends with them. Uh, throughout their lives, and that wasn't the case when I was growing up. Right, right. So I think that has a lot to do with it too. I think the internet. One of the bonuses of the internet is actually seeing some of these heartfelt stories of these great things that other human beings uh, are doing, as far as classmates in school, and including people like that. So I think, well, people can say the internet's the worst thing that ever happened to humanity. As a matter of fact, I think it's the best thing that ever happened to humanity. I've got to be honest with you. But everything has detriments to it, right? right. There's always going to be a downfall to new technology. It's like airplanes, right? Right? They're super convenient. Everybody fucking loves flying. But unfortunately, part of the deal of getting that convenience was a lot of people have died in plane crashes. Right. And so there's negative things to every kind of technology, it's just the way it is. And, and one of the great things about having social media platforms is getting exposed to uh, a way of thing that may touch your heart. I watched a thing this morning before I came in. I was having just a weird day, right? So I happen to just – I'm on antibiotics. I had an ear infection last week, as weird as that sounds. I'm an adult with an ear infection. <laughs> But I flew congested and it clogged my ear up. Yeah. And then like Thursday, I'm like, man, I better go get this fucking thing checked. And my doctor's like, you have an ear infection. I'm like, all right. So this morning I took fucking pills because I forgot to take them in the morning. Maybe nauseous. Then I'm like, because I don't, I fast, right? So then I'm like, fuck, I got to eat or I'm going to throw up like a, like a bitch. So I, uh, I start making eggs. I throw a little toast together. I inhale that. And I'm like, now I'm like on the couch. But I, I watched this video. It's like, Dude, I'm on the couch, like literally just goofing off on a video. And I'm like fucking sitting there like a baby tearing up. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And you don't realize what something like that does to you. It's, I think it creates more humanity. It was about a father who, after marrying this girl's mother, gets down and proposes to her in the church. And he promised her to, did you see that one? No, uh, I, so I've seen a, that type of video. That'll get you. Yeah, oh, yeah dude, he's like you. professing to this little girl that he will always be there for her, gives her a ring. And I'm like, I even get a little emotional. I got four kids, right? I get a little emotional to talk about that now. But yeah, yeah. how did you get involved in this? Uh, it's funny, you know, people talk about... Uh, chasing your purpose and finding a purpose. And, and I, I think that's kind of a misguided. I, I believe that I think your purpose finds you, right? And I think for me, uh, when my son, who's turning 19 next week, when the day he was diagnosed, uh, boy, man, it, it changed everything. I had I'd already been a cop 10 years. I was already in K-9. I was already running a unit. I thought I had this thing figured out, right? I had, my, my career was going well. I had, my family was beautiful. My wife, we had a great marriage. And then uh, on a cold, rainy day in January in 2007, I sat in a very nice office across a mahogany desk from this doctor I didn't like very much. And she spoke four words to me, uh, your son is autistic. And uh, in that moment, a um, hundred things that really mattered to me didn't. Mm -hmm. And a thousand things I had never considered before, Dennis, were suddenly all I could think about. And it was one of those moments where uh, God himself reached down and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, uh, hey, hotshot, you know, you, you thought you were the quarterback. 
you know, I'm the quarterback. And by the way, we're calling an audible. We're going this way now. And, uh, you know, I, I gotta be honest with you. It messed me up. It messed me up for a long time. Um, and took me a long time to get my feet under me with, with this curveball that was thrown at my family. And, uh, it, I almost lost everything. Mm. I got very angry. Uh, the words, fuck you, God, left my lips many times. And, mm -hmm. I, and I've, I've, I've listened to your podcast and you've had amazing guests and they talk about trauma. And uh, you know, I was listening last night to the, to the officer who was there when her, when her partner committed suicide, mm -hmm. what she dealt with. Mm -hmm. And, where, and your, your guest on, when you were with Tommy Laren and she was shot in the face. So I don't wanna compare what I've gone through with, with those things and those are remarkable events. But I gotta tell you that when you find yourself renouncing God, <laughs> you're in a pretty dark place, man. And, and uh, it took me a lot of time to climb back. And uh, part of that climbing back was, was realizing that there could be a purpose to this, that I could do some good, I could own this. And uh, I'm living that now. Now, when, when, when I do what I do and I talk to cops and I teach them about these amazing people like my son, uh, it truly is a calling. And I, and I truly believe that everything that happened in my life before that was preamble. It, it was it was getting me ready mm -hmm. to to do what I do now, and uh, but that's not to say it was it was a, a slow climb. It was it was it was hard. It was really hard, and took a lot to get back and, and wrap my head around it. And I and notice when I talk about this, none of this was my son's problem. None of it. It was me. I had to figure this shit out, and it took miracles <laughs> to heal me, not him. So that's kind of where I am right now. Well, it sounds like God needed you to do His work. I believe that. I truly do. Yeah. I truly do. I truly do. And people don't realize that when you're trying to do something like this, and I want to give you credit because you probably don't hear this enough, there isn't a significant emotional tax that you pay to achieve a larger objective in life that most people won't do and take on the challenges. And I mean, I, the emotional piper's at my door all the time. So I want to acknowledge you for like, I listen, I grew up with a severely disabled sibling. And, um, you know, I, I don't also don't think that the structure that we grew up in was really ideal for somebody like him. Um, you know, there it could have been a lot better. Uh, I don't know how much worse it could have been to be quite honest. I guess I guess it could always be worse. But uh, so, dude, I get it. You know, people always say to me, "How do you deal with the chaos here?" Especially be like, "How do you fucking do this?" I'm like, "I grew up in this." That's a really good point. And you know, I think that's generally that's true of anybody who's successful or good at what they do. Forget success. If you're good at what you do, you have paid a price. And you got there through hard-earned blood, sweat, and tears. And that's not just a cliche. That's real. Like yeah. You had to, I, I had to go through some shit yeah. uh, to arrive at a place where now I, I am acknowledged at being good at what I do. Um, and I don't think you can teach that in school. You got to live it. You got to live it. And like I said, I don't compare myself to any of these heroes that, that you have spoken to. But the uh, the trauma on a different level that I had to process as a dad, um, raising a son that was going to be different, right? Uh, his path was going to be different. Um, it could have broke me. Uh, could have. Yeah. And it breaks people. It does. And yeah. I, I hear it all the time. Yeah. I, I see it all the time. And I don't judge them for, be, for, betting, for being broken. Um, I thank God I pulled myself through it and found some purpose in it and now have... Uh, owned it in a certain way, um, where I can now uh, do some good with it. And I'm happy where I am, but it was not easy, man. Not easy. What led you guys to start to suspect that he may have some kind of disability? 
That's uh, crazy. My wife knew well before I did. Okay. And I, it's Were you just in denial, you think? Oh, yeah, I was an asshole. Yeah. I was a complete asshole. Um, you know, you go through this process, man, it's crazy. And unless you've lived it, it's hard to even describe. But my wife started to see signs. And they they start missing their milestones, right? They're not they're not pointing at objects. They're not speaking in sentences. They have limited interest in, 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 in playing with other kids. Right. All these things that pop up. And, uh, you know, my wife's radar was up. He was about two, two and a half years old. And we were seeing it. And I was doing this thing, like I was in denial. He's our second child and he's a boy and boys develop slower. And my, my daughter was advanced and we're just comparing him to her. And just, I knew, I knew. I just wasn't ready to get there yet. And uh, it's funny, man, it's, it's so funny. I think the best diagnosticians of autism today, it's crazy when, when I say this, are ear, nose and throat specialists. And what I mean by that is you go through this process where you don't want to face what you're looking at. So you think your child is deaf. And it's almost in a sad way you're hoping your child is deaf, right? So what you do is you take them for a hearing test and you go for a hearing test because your son isn't answering his name, right? And they're not showing interest. And you go for a hearing test and you go into the lobby and you're waiting for your appointment and the entire lobby or other families like you. Oh, wow. And the kids are running around and I listening to mom and the mom's all haggard and she's tired and you're looking around and they call your name and the doctor brings in, tests your son. And he's like, um, almost apologetic. Like, you know, here's fine. Your son here's fine. You might want to check out this other doctor. Like, mm -hmm. and that's like a, like a rite of passage as you go through this denial thing before you face what the reality is your son needs, uh, need some supports and your path is different and God has, has a different, a different path for you. And, uh, it breaks people. Sure. And I, and I see that and I'm, and I'm sympathetic to it and I am no better than them, but I kind of survived it. Um, but it's hard. It's still hard today. Today is hard, uh, when you're dealing with it. And, 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 and as the milestones come, you know, he turned 17, his driver's license is not in the carts, right? Uh, my daughter has graduated college, college. He should be, I should be packing him up. Mm -hmm. Should, whatever that means. Right. Right. Um, uh, it's not, it's not in the cards. Right. So that process, and again, I'll, I'll draw on the trauma part. It never goes away. And there's always this monster, like right, just around the corner to tap you on the shoulder. And he's like, Hey, hey motherfucker, remember me? Yeah. Like, I'm still here. I get, do some, you know, I have not resolved. Uh, the things that I deal with today as my brother's guardian, I still haven't resolved 41 years of trauma. There are things people don't know about what I've been through with that. So um, I don't know what will ever resolve it, to be quite honest. I think I just, that's part of, and I'm not looking to resolve it, but it's it's certainly not addressed, hasn't been addressed. And you know, listen, I also come from, again, I don't want to sit here and berate uh, maybe my uh, parents, but these weren't ideal human beings for situations like this. Uh, I would think caring is one word that you could describe that might give them a good, and, and caring in the sense of like they weren't neglectful, I think, uh, towards what he needed to have as far as like doctors, but certainly not the people that should have been uh, given a child like this. There's no question about it. It's, they really did a shit job. Um, no question about it. It speaks a lot about you, and I don't know your story, but you being his guardian now, and and that's uh, that's no small undertaking. And uh, it's dude, you know it's crazy. And so here's some things that I'll share with people. Like, there's a lot to know about this, 
but there's a lot of guilt associated with being his guardian because people confuse guardianship with caretaker. Yeah. And so I'm not his caretaker. No, but you're a legal guardian, financial decisions, things like that. But yeah. when you de- when you have a family that is, um, I would say, less intelligent than most people, they want to know why I'm not his caretaker when I'm his guardian. And I'm like, well, I'm not his guardian. He has caretakers that are with him all the time. And yeah. that actually, as a matter of fact, I made some decisions on his behalf to give him a little more freedom and have less caretakers. And he actually thrived. And some of the decisions I made in the face of other people's anxiety and concerns ended up being the best things that ever happened. They still wouldn't lay the sword down until at some point his doctors were like, you know, him being on his own a little bit has actually helped him quite a bit. That's uh, funny. We could probably do a whole podcast yeah. on that process of, of, of getting guardianship, getting awarded guardianship through the courts. So well, my family didn't fight me on it. Uh, it was just a better decision because, you know, honestly, I'm the person essentially in some sense who everything revolves around. I mean, let's call it like it is. I can clearly run a company. Um, you know, obviously we make just bad decisions, shit like that. That's part of the deal of running a company. Uh, but we make a lot of good decisions. We make more good decisions than bad decisions. And yeah, I'm a father of four. So there's a lot of things that I can handle. So the decision was clear. I mean, it was literally doing things for my parents, buying, helping buy houses, sell houses, buy cars, sell cars. I mean, mm-hmm. financial, everything, doing everything I could for them. So they knew it was out of their wheelhouse as they continued to, it was actually probably out of their wheelhouse at the moment they had this kid. And then it, as they got older, because he is a, he's very, very violent, um, it's completely out of their, they didn't want to hear it, you know, uh, of course, because we're dealing with people who are lower intelligence. They're just not understanding the reality of the situation. So, uh, you know, I have another brother's not involved. And um, obviously I just always do the right thing. So it was clear as, and I can make easy decisions logical, best decisions for this person. But dude, you would be amazed at like what I go through because of what people think I'm supposed to be doing as a guardian. They don't realize what guardianship means. I'm making decisions on his behalf. I'm helping. I'm actually doing more than I'm actually supposed to be doing, Mm -hmm. but I do a lot to ensure that he is living the best life he can. You know, I've been even criticized like, oh, you work a lot. You know, I said to my wife years ago when I was able to take him out of a shared apartment setting. They wanted to move them into a group home. These fuck this, and we'll have a, we can have a side conversation, or we could talk about it publicly about these fucking companies that this that yeah. that take the money that the state funds for them and they make a fortune on it. They hire these people at twelve bucks an hour, and so it wasn't a good fit for him. So it's something called self directed um, self directed services. And so I remember having the conversation where I was pretty fed up with his staff. And I'm like, yeah, like guys, I mean, there's not a reason why this kid should be getting the police called on him six times a fucking year because your staff can't handle it. Your your communication's horrendous. So it's not him, it's you guys. You guys are fucking stupid. Um, and I said to them, I'm just gonna be taking him out of here. And they go, well, his 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 stuff is not gonna cover, have his own apartment. I go, no, I'm, I'm paying for his own I mean, apartment. I got it, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, we don't understand. And I'm like, yeah, I have enough, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm making enough money now where I can literally supplement his life and give him a better life. And I'm happy to report, guess what? Three years later, he hasn't had one incident where the police had to come. He knocked, well, he has a fall like a fall thing on him, right? So he's over here. My friends are cops over here. A lot of our friends over here. Yeah, I'm friends with a lot of cops, right? So he's got a thing that he wears that I pay for him monthly. It's like 70 bucks a month because uh, he's epileptic as well. So if he falls, this thing goes off. And um, he triggered it like three weeks ago. But they have the pin pad to get into his house. And, you know, they, now I'm getting missed calls. I wake up like two o'clock in the morning, missed calls. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I get the text. Like, dude, 
if you know if they uh, if something happens and it's just a false alarm, you don't got to call me. Just just handle. Yeah, he's he's not going to give you a hard time. Uh, but here they are. Th- I'm watching now because I have cameras at his house too. That they're coming at three o'clock in the morning because he I, I don't know what he did with the sensor, but he triggered it. But my point is is um there's a lot, dude. You wouldn't. I think my family puts me through hell too uh, because they're just fucking idiots, dude. I do so much. And I do more than anybody else is doing. And it's crazy because then sometimes my family would be like, your brother called and said he hasn't seen da-da-da in like a month. And I'm like, well, yeah, I understand. Do you understand how violent he is? Do you know how dangerous it is for us to, even when I bring people to go see him, how dangerous he gets, how fast he gets triggered, hmm. how violent this, and they're just like, they're like, well, I'm just saying. I'm like, well, you don't, you don't contribute any money. You're not doing anything, but every time he calls you every five months and complains to you, then you're calling me and yelling at me. Fuck have you been? You're retired, fucking fishing all day. You're 30 minutes away from his house. Go visit him, right? You're so fucking concerned. Um, so I, you know, I don't mean to be airing a lot of my dirty laundry, but like, oh. you know, the I don't know if there's a, a familiar story uh, or you've heard similar things to it, but you know, I have parents who like. Literally, like I'm like, hey, you guys want to kick in some money a month? And they're not poor by any means, and like, it's not my responsibility. I'm like, so it's my responsibility solely to now have to care for. Like, I'm I'm honored, but I'm just saying, like, you also fucking around spending two, three thousand dollars shopping and doing this crazy shit. You're on fucking vacation, do crazy stuff. Yeah. And like, what do you think? You just have to relinquish responsibility. You guys are fucking sitting on a stack of. What, you know, you want to fucking throw, kick a little money this way a little bit, you think? Or Yeah, that's the frustrating part. If, okay, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it. I'll step up. I'll be the, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. And then complain. But don't you dare call me next yeah, month. I'll do Then the complain. Yeah. Then I get the messages. How come right. so-and-so, da-da-da-da. How come this caretaker wasn't there on Wednesday? I don't understand. How come this one can't stay? I'll, there should be somebody there with him on Saturdays. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You, like, the state doesn't have funding for that. So you want to kick in the 300 bucks a day with me? No. I don't want to do that. So stop complaining. That's right? hard, man. It's yeah, hard. yeah, it's a nightmare. And I, I truly, and not just because I'm, because I'm here. I truly do commend you for stepping up and doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not looking for no. I know accolades, you're not. Right? I know you're not, but you deserve I it. I share this that story easy. because I'm sure somebody's listening to it. I don't share for like empathy or compassion, or you think that I'm a great guy. People deal with this stuff, right? People deal with these these things, and I, you know, sometimes it's hard not to see them like a nightmare, right? Yeah. Seriously, I mean, that, and that's well, I guess the correlation back to what you're saying. Well, and I know, I know how hard it is. I I have been blessed in, in raising my son. Just uh, I have a strong marriage. My daughter is, I mean, she's the most amazing person awesome. ever want to meet. And I truly believe that is direct correlation between her growing up in in a house with a with a, with a brother with special needs. My 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 parents are young and at great. My parents that's were cool. married when they were 17. Had me at 19. Wow. So they're, young. they're still in the game, right? And they're, they're, they're a huge relief valve for us. So the blessings I've been given to, to help manage these challenges, I know are, are blessings. And there are people out there, single parents. Oh yeah. Uh, individuals like, like you who, are, who have stepped up and, and taken this on without anybody really truly to help. Um, and, you know, I, I don't, I, we didn't mention this, but I have a, a pretty decent following on social media on the personal side of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started writing about my family a, a while ago. That's cool, man. It's growing, it's growing a pretty decent following. Awesome. And I hear all the time, man, like, and it almost becomes embarrassing. It almost becomes, you feel a little ashamed. Oh yeah. Like we post pictures, we just went to, to Disney. And I know, I know there's a large segment of, of, of the parents who, who follow me on Facebook that 
a Disney vacation, that ain't in the cards, man. Like I'm, I'm living here by myself with, the, with my adult child of special needs. And the day I can take him to Disney, that's, that's, a, that's a fantasy. I'm trying to survive right. today, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I really, and that's a message I deliver to cops is listen, man, please understand that this is not just affecting the individual. And there's a lot you got to learn about that individual special needs, but understand this is an entire family who is under stress you cannot imagine. Mm -hmm. And you are meeting them at the most, usually, yeah. at the most traumatic point in their lives, and they are already here. And Dennis, I, as I sit here, I have, yet, I have never sat at a family picnic with my wife and enjoyed a hamburger. I know. We eat in shifts. Right. Right? One of them is always, one of us is always following my son to make sure he's, He's safe. He's not getting in trouble. He's not going to run away. That's not complaining. That's just explaining what this is and the challenges. That's we have locks on my house, not to keep the bad guys out, to keep my son in. Mm -hmm. We sleep with one ear open, listening. Is he out? is he getting out of his room? Is he is he going to get into trouble? He's going downstairs and hurt somebody. You just live like that, and and it, it's hard to describe living at level ten. All right now, right now as we're talking. My phone's right here, and I'm and my half of my brain is 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 my wife okay with my son, right? And uh, if you don't think that affected my job when I was working, you're freaking crazy. Oh yeah. And it became where, um, dude, I was actually working one time. I've lost my son five times. Jeez. Lost him. I mean, not not the not the momentary like where is he? Oh, there he is. I mean, lost him requiring help five times. Yeah, it's right? embarrassing. Right. Yeah, and it's crazy. I, I lost him once at my front door, once at my back door, once in Menlo Park Mall, once in Palm Springs in the desert at a resort in August, and once in SeaWorld in San Diego. Oh shit! Lost him. Are you guys just real quick? Are you guys employing technology now to prevent that from happening? Like, there's a lot. There's nothing that's perfect. Project Lifesaver. I'm a huge fan of, but it's uh, it's RF frequency driven, not GPS driven, which I like. World War II technology, like point the antenna and it tells you. Oh, is it working? Yeah. Awesome, awesome people and amazing. But the problem is, not a problem, but the challenge is they got to be wearing it. He doesn't want to wear it. Batteries got to be charged. Right. Right. Not an air tag or something like that. Air tag is great, but it's GPS. It's it's usually cell phone signal or or GPS. So if you're out you know, in an area where you can't get a good signal, mm -hmm. useless. If it's in his backpack, he drops the backpack, useless. Does he so, know and take it off if he knows it's there? My son, you know, listen, I can only speak to my son. My son uh, has sensory issues a okay. lot. Um, uh, wearing things like that are hard. Yeah. Um, he he now is at a, at a level where if I tell him, listen, you got to keep this on you, it's important, he, he will. Okay. If that's the rule. So he's processing that, some, so that information. Yeah, I'm lucky. Yeah. Not everybody's that oh, lucky. Oh, I know. Right. Um, but like I said, I, I've lost him a, a bunch of times and, I, and I've become a student of the psychology of that. What happens? Um, and, and listen, man, I, I was a pretty decent cop. I was involved in a lot of, a lot of hairy things in my, in my career. I worked, worked the dog 22 years. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a level-headed dude. I'm telling you, when you lose your kid, uh, it, 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 it'll challenge you. It's different. And I know you've had, you've had combat veterans. I know you speak to these people, people involved in shootings. And I, I truly respect that. Um, you lose your child who has special needs, who can't communicate, who, who doesn't, doesn't know to seek an adult for help, who may not even know he's lost. And uh, time goes by real, real, real slow, right? 15 minutes of, of your son being missing, you, you, you're gonna be challenged, you're gonna be tested. Um, so I've learned to respect the psychology of that. And that came from a lot of trauma.
myself. When I lost my son in SeaWorld at a water park, I had already started doing this training when it happened. And uh, within, within 10 minutes, I was a mess. I was incapacitated. Mm -hmm. I was a mess. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it, I try to convey that message that, listen, guys, when you get dispatched these calls, first of all, when you get dispatched this missing kid, first of all, that family looked around for that kid at least 45 minutes before they had to, got the courage to call you. Right, they, they, we don't just pick up the phone. My, my son's been missing five minutes, send the police. No, mm -hmm. that's not how it works. First of all, they're afraid of us. That's a major message. Like parents are scared to death to call the police for help with their special needs child. And that bothers me on a lot of levels um, for two reasons. A, they're afraid that we're gonna come, we're gonna uh, misunderstand their kid, mm -hmm. uh, apply too much force, physically hurt them. Right. Which is black and white, I get that, right? But the other reason I'm getting when I ask, and I ask, I mean, thousands of families around the world, why are you afraid? Like. Uh, the other reason is they're afraid of judgment. They think that if they call 911, we're gonna come to their house, we're gonna see them failing in that moment. Lost your kid, right? I failed five times. I will not make any, any excuses. I dropped the ball. Um, but they're gonna see us failing, they're gonna see the house in disarray, you know, see whatever emotional episode is going on. Right. Judge them as unfit parents, call DIFIS and have a kid taken away from them. It's literally what families think, which causes them to hesitate. They don't wanna call. Like I'll, I'll deal with this myself, right? So by the time your son, your, their child goes missing, they pick up a phone and develop the courage to call for help. You're 45, 45 minutes into that call. If you show up there and you don't know the right questions to start asking, and you put out this bullshit, all units looking for an eight-year-old autistic kid wearing a red shirt, good luck. If that's your strategy going into that call, we're gonna lose them. We're gonna lose them, it's gonna be tragedy. And um, that, that wakes me up at night. When, 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 you know, that, that, that could have been avoided, uh, that just a little bit of understanding, a little bit of insights, a little bit of strategic approach, approaching these calls as investigators, not just eyes, hoping we get lucky. Um, and, and that's what drives me. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the Street Cop Podcast, do us a favor and go with, give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Tell a friend. We don't charge anything for the episodes. We appreciate your support. Check us out on any social platform by putting into the search bar, Street Cop Training. Give us a follow. We have a lot of free content coming out every single day that you might not catch here on the podcast. And it's important for you to be able to do your job more professionally. And we also entertain you as well. My parents used to dump my brother onto me all the time, right? So now I became a cop in town. They lived in the town, and my phone would ring probably every other week. You need to come here right now. Your brother's flipping out. And dude, I'd be in a black and white, and I'd have to call like the, the radio guy and go, you got to give me like 20 minutes. And I'm literally on duty in uniform at my parents' house, and he is destroying the place. And I'm physically trying to, like, because he, he has no talking to him, right? There's no talking. Uh, so at some point, he just will start attacking people. And so now I'm trying to talk him down because I'm the only one to communicate to him, right? So I try to train his caretakers on the psychology of my brother. If you do this, you're gonna he's gonna flip the fuck out. I mean, his 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 new caretaker messaged me on Saturday last week, and she's like, "Hey, so and so, I don't say my brother's name, and people can figure it out. Um, so and so, da da da. He was getting very frustrated with me, and said that I go, and I wrote back to her. If she would give this whole explanation, I go, yeah, I'm aware he's he's not normal." He's special needs. Yeah, so when you, when you tell day, me, like, yeah. but dude, I'm talking like every other week. And then like, dude, there were times where I was off duty and like, I'm getting calls from my coworkers. Like, Hey, we're at your house, your parents' house again. And it's like fucking super embarrassing, dude. You know, my super, like the guys that I know and thank God the people that I, that went were decent dudes. But you know, listen, there's a lot of animosity towards me at the agency. I'm a proactive, hard charging, 
uh, party guy, you know, da-da-da. And I'm getting calls, hey, we're at your house. You know, we got to restrain your brother, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I understand. Like, I get it. I get that that that's what you're dealing with. And dude, it was very hard for me to have to hide that. I, mean, I couldn't tell anybody when I went. I couldn't call in and say, put me out, throw me a time and alarm at my parents' house or a time and number at my parents' house. Uh, and then on top of it, I had a mother who was a fucking lunatic. And then she was misbehaving because she's fucking gone. She's out of her goddamn mind too. Um, to fighting with neighbors. It was like a horrible thing to have to experience as a cop in town. I remember going to my mother's house and I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of parallels. I, I live in the town I worked in. Mm -hmm. um, I, and uh, it's, it's really, really, and, and I would believe me for selfish reasons, I've made sure that the guys who work for me they were trained in this shit. Like, well, I would tell people, I would try to like pass the word along. So I put like CAD notes in and they, so like where he lives now, they have CAD notes. Uh, they have my cell phone number. They have CAD notes of what makes him upset. I just put a whole thing in. Um, they probably have two paragraphs of CAD notes and everybody knows he's my brother. So, you know, listen, there's no secret about it. A lot of cops like me. So, but dude, it's a, it's an embarrassing thing. For me, the, 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 it's a weird thing to happen. Like I, I really truly believe that the guys who work for me Got it, get it, and they're really good people. Um, what I'm, what, what jars me up at night, what I'm worried about right now, I'm, I'm 45 minutes from my house, uh, is, uh, is my wife needing help? My son, you know, whatever, having an, is he a big dude? Six foot two hundred five. Yeah, right. My, my brother's six foot two sixty five. And what happens is uh, six one. The things that are cute when they're four aren't cute when they're six foot two hundred five. Oh, right now. So what, what my biggest fear is is not the bad cops. Dennis, and it's not the assholes, and every agency has them. My fear are the good cops, and what I mean by that is, is I know I know your audience is a, is a very, you know, you use the word hard charger, and they these are the guys on the road. They want looking for an edge, right? They want to, they want to get the narcotics arrest. These are the good cops, right? And my fear is what really uh, really scares me is not my son running into a bad cop. So I know they're few and far between. My fear is him running into the good ones because the good ones have a mindset, right? They have a a, a they have a, they have a vibe where they're 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 reading body language and all the tips that your guys teach and they're awesome at it. Um, they don't translate to something like this. Well, though. they can be misread, right? Correct. And and the truth is, and this is the first thing I got to drive home when I do my training with these guys is listen, guys. I'm glad you're here. I know you were ordered here. Nobody, nobody signs up for this shit, but I'm glad you're here. Um, I, I can make you a better public servant and all that stuff. It's important, but I need you to understand you have a vested interest in learning what I'm about to teach you because the reality is your training, your instincts and, and, and your experience in this instance, in this particular area will lie to you, will lie to you. And what you're seeing, you're reading as somebody's under the influence there. You're reading lack of eye contact and that's evasiveness. And they teach us that in interrogation 101. I've heard your guys talk about it. I'm telling you flat out that there are times where that doesn't apply. And there are times where you are acting not out of malice, you're trying to do your job well, you're trying to be a good aggressive cop, trying to lock up bad guys. You're reading the situation based on your training and experience, and we've all written that a thousand times in our reports. And that will lead you down a path that if you don't have a, a seed planted in your head that there might be something else there, you're exposed. You're, you're exposed to liability and it'll get somebody hurt, including you. Um, that's what scares me. It's the good cops. It's the aggressive cops that I've worked with that I, I'll go through a door with now misreading it and misreading it based on 
noble intentions. Mm -hmm. And when my son, uh, and just silly things, like you, you talk about command presence and we wear a uniform and a badge and we show up and people know who we are and know we're a person of, of, of authority. And you have to listen to me. Sometimes they don't, Dennis. And that person that does not read that looks like every other 19 year old around uh, mm -hmm. that you run into. That's the blessing and the curse of this is my, there is no physical characteristic that my son wears where you could see, okay, he's, he's different. And you know, somebody with Down syndrome, you can see a mm -hmm. physical presentation of that. My son doesn't have that. So the curse of that is um, he gets misjudged. And when he acts in a certain way, whether it's an angry outburst or whether it's just uh, not making eye contact, not following, not, not respecting your command presence, um, it triggers in the good cops a lot, uh, a sense of, oh, he's disrespecting me. He's being belligerent. He's being that catch-all phrase we all use, disorderly, right? Or he's trying to get over. He's lying. He's being evasive. He's hiding something. And that leads you down a path as, as a police officer where you can get yourself hurt. You're exposed. Mm -hmm. You're exposed there where you can get hurt and not even know it. And, um, you know, there's this, I don't know if you've, you might've covered it. There was this, there's an incident in, in Arizona in 2017. There's body cam footage of it where this cop approaches this kid in a park. And the kid is, uh, he's pacing. And that's a, that's a classic, classic, almost universal sign of autism, but it's also a universal sign of somebody who's on dope, mm -hmm. right? So this kid is pacing in the park the whole time. He's talking to himself vocally. He's talking to himself. There's nobody around. He's talking to himself. The whole time he's making this motion in front of his face. Mm -hmm. And when I, when, I, when, I do, when I talk about this in my class, I'm like, listen, you gotta be, listen to me carefully what I'm saying. And you might deal with this too. You're walking a tightrope. Uh, I have these guys in my class that I know are aggressive cops, good cops. And I don't want to be the guy, and I've heard your, your, your de-escalation expert, I forget his name, I'm sorry. Jeff Scholes, yeah. This isn't, um, this isn't soft policing and this isn't uh, bleeding heart liberal shit, all right? So I, I don't want to lose you. I understand you want to be aggressive. So listen carefully to what I'm saying. This is not a bad cop. This Arizona cop is not a bad cop. And here's the context. Now I can prove that to you. This cop in Arizona led his police department in DWI arrest. Led as the police department in narcotics arrest. A month before this incident, I'm about to show you on body cam footage, this officer was awarded his state's DWI enforcement officer of the year, right? Good, aggressive, young cop, not a rookie, nine years on the job. And you're gonna watch body cam footage, camera footage of what's gonna happen. And this cop sees this, this image, kid pacing, whatever, gets out of the car, approaches the kid, says, what are you doing? And you see on, on camera the, what the kid does. Kid taps, takes three steps back. What is the cop thinking? Mm, yeah. And Jet. Yeah. And Jet has got a foot pursuit, right? You think like this kid's, kids on dope. And I say, to, I say to my class, listen, does anybody think that's unreasonable? Tell me now. We can argue about it. Do you think that's unreasonable? I spent six years as internal affairs commander. My job is to tear apart videos like this and find out what the cop did wrong. And I'm standing here in front of anybody listening, including parents, including parents who don't have our experience. And I will tell them nothing this officer does is unreasonable given the context, given what he's able to articulate, given mm -hmm. what you're seeing, right? The kid, the kid takes three steps back. He, he asks for ID. The kid physically turns and starts walking away. What is the cop thinking? Jet, foot pursuit, not unreasonable. So the cop takes his arm and restrains him from, from running. Not unreasonable. Under the Arizona's use of force guidelines, he's good. It turns into that, that, motion of putting the kid's hands behind his back triggers in the kid um, fight or flight. 
and it becomes a boom, brawl, brawl. Uh, fast forward, a kid uh, uh, is restrained, it, the mom shows up, everything's okay, and it turns into a $5 million lawsuit. It just got, it just got kicked out of court last month in March. They found the officer not uh, liable, mm -hmm. right? But that was, a, that was a mess for that officer for a number of years. So when, when I say these, when I, when I teach these lessons, like, like listen, I get it. And, and I gotta be honest, I would have done the same thing. I would have done the same thing that that officer did. So by the grace of God, I'd never found myself in that situation as this cop, but I am not gonna throw this cop under the bus. I won't do that. Even though it may even be financially beneficial for the audience who follows me, the families to say, yeah, this is a bad cop. You know, he's, he's aggressive, heavy handed. No, bullshit. Mm -hmm. That would have been me. That would have been me given the circuit, but that's the danger here is this cop was doing everything reasonably, acting under his, 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 his training and experience and guidelines, acting reasonably, and he still found himself uh, in conflict with the system. Um, but that, that incident is messed up for me because when I watch that incident as a dad, it guts me. Yeah, it's frustrating. Guts me. It took me two and a half years to include that in my program because I didn't want to go there emotionally. Hurts. Mm -hmm. Hurts, Dennis. I mean, I mean, hurts. Oh yeah, because I see my son's face in that kid. Yeah, and I know. And this kid, you know, when you watch the video, and I and I and I really do uh, challenge all of you to watch it. It's, you just Google Arizona Autism Police, you'll see it. And uh, as a parent, watch it, and you hear this kid um, doing these techniques, like trying to soothe himself, and he's saying, "I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay." And this kid, his entire world is crashing down on him, and uh, he has no idea what's going on. And as a parent, man. I mean, it, it do it still. When I when I play it, I I start to I start to tear up. But that's the dynamic. That's the duality. Of this for me is I put my cop hat on, I put my IA commander hat on, and I watch this. I'm like, I don't see a goddamn thing that guy did wrong. Yeah. And I put my dad hat on, and it it, it guts me. And that is the problem. And that's the that's where I know I'm I'm in a good niche because I know I straddle both communities. Right. I have a foot in the law enforcement community. I have a foot in the special needs community. I get this from both sides. But the message is, listen, man, we gotta, there's a lot we gotta learn. And there are a lot of signs here when you watch this footage that, that are just flags for me as a dad of what I see that were not obvious to the cop. And I truly believe I can teach that. You know, it's probably the motivation behind, or similar to the motivation behind what we do here is, I try to express to everybody, and, and I'm trying to actually take some of this context and spread it to other professions. <clears throat> the consequences of failure to train and not having actually good training, not just checking a box. Real training. Real training. Real training. Uh, are these consequences. And, you know, I could just in my head see what that cop went through in police academy, and I promise you that on his calendar was probably not autism or special needs training. Albeit not everything, but it's an important skill to possess as a police officer. But if it was, the training sucked. If Typically, it was, that training was a downloaded module he got, and the junior guy in his squad got to stand before his, 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 his squad at, at roll call yeah. and go through the PowerPoint, and the chief could say, boom, yes, my guys are trained. Well, you know what's right? interesting? So um, in the next, I don't know, year, let's say maybe, I understand that there is however many hundreds of police academies in this country, and there's just no way, if you really understand this, there is no way that the training people are receiving is adequate. Because if we are considering what you get out of this company, we find an expert who's the best at what they do. And we say, here, 
come take his class. And people say, well, you know, you got to pay for it. Yeah, that's right. The guy puts 20 hours a week in his program. He's got 22 years invested in the program, and he deserves compensation. We're not asking for a lot, but if you'd like to invest in yourself, he's invested in himself. Yeah, that's that's the exchange rate. I know that the only way to resolve this moment right now, maybe the only resolution to fix these police academies at a basic level is to go into technology. You have no choice. And people might, you might think I'm revealing a secret, but the reality is there's not a secret because you don't have what we have here. We have 50 experts to teach certain things. You might find one or two and try to piece these guys and girls together. You're never going to find what we have and you're never going to deliver the product that we can deliver. So I say to people, like, well, what do you mean by that? Imagine going to a police academy where obviously you're going to have somebody, they're going to have to have relinquished some responsibility, but they can't have all the responsibility. So what kind of responsibility? You're going to have to find people in your area that are going to teach Brazilian jiu-jitsu to police officers. That's something that we could do online, sure, but you're going to have to have somebody probably moderating this a little bit. But when it comes to the information you need as a police officer, I can guarantee you you can find a lot more value in watching a six-hour program from one of our instructors on de-escalation than some person they found who they gave uh, a memory stick to to plug into the computer that's attached to the podium, and they're just like standing like, do this, do that. Like, let's talk about somebody who knows about what they're doing. So, you know, how do you get these people? There's only one way. Technology. And that'll be, yeah, you have, you have to have technology. If we have the guy who knows how to teach body language and behavior, pre-attack indicators, pre-flight indicators, um, all these things that are so important for cops to know, body language is one of the most important things for cops to know. And we have one of these guys, and maybe some other guys who know about it that are still really good because they use it for their craft. How did you find a guy on that? And the answer is you didn't. You didn't. Because there's eight guys in the country who might be good at this, and there's 694 police academies. You, there's, you didn't find the guy. And I'm, I'm saying 694 is just a crazy number. So I'd like to see one day, and you've got to get these people to relinquish the sword. Right. Well, well and, and what happens, though, is the chief who's in what, Oshkosh, Nebraska, whatever, uh, does find somebody who's not that good. But he can now fill out a form that says, yes, my guys, we're they trained on escalation right. And he's covered, which unfortunately for chiefs is sometimes all they want. They just want that form in a paper to say, yes, my guys are trained. Well, sure, they're worried about the job. So in, in my area, and, and I know I have, a, I have a very slim niche here, based, of course, compared to what you're doing. No, no, no. In, I mean, in my area- comparison, it's the same thing. So what I see is um, in New Jersey, it's mandated. You have to have autism training, right? Tell me about that. What does that look like? <laughs> You're trying to set me up. I'm not uh, trying to set you up. It sucks. Yeah, it, it's, but, it's terrible. Yeah, guess what? By the way, like, do you think this is not to my detriment to say these things? And I just said this in class <laughs> last week. I said, can I just say something? Like, so what? We're going to just ignore the fact that we know the truth behind it and you can't express it anymore? In a profession where lives are on the line, right. including the victim or somebody who has autism, and we're going to accept the training that we got? The crazy thing is they'll never relinquish the sword. Uh, you know, when do we say, all right, we can't do, I just read an article that when a government subcontracts a subcontractor, right? They hire like a guy to do the road work. They're 10 times more efficient than the government itself. So with that being known, how could you bless everybody to do every little thing? You're going to have to subcontract this stuff out. But and we're willing work, to do the work. But government work is what it is. So when you have these legislation, legislative mandates that we have to do this training, and I'm, listen, as a parent, I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you for passing those laws. But government work is what it is. You got half of it done. You got half the fucking job done. You painted half the building. 
Right, right. You exactly. built half the building. Now we're looking at this building. You built half of it. I got a fucking half a wall missing over here. So, so put yourself in a in a in a in a, in a command staff person's position. While they're going to find the cheapest way to get it done, the quickest way to get it done, and get it out of their hair and just check the boxes. And what that is in a, in this area, this slim area. I won't speak out of my lane, but in my area, that is a twenty minute download. And I got to tell you, Dennis, as a as a parent, um, that's insulting. Right. And I got to tell you, my, my introduction to my class is 20 minutes. Right. I haven't even started yet telling you what you need to know, officer from Phoenix, Arizona, what autism is. I haven't even started yet. And, and, and people and chiefs, unfortunately, have um, checked that box that, that their officers are trained in this. And it's insulting. And, I, and what you also see in my area is um, it gets lumped in a lot with um, <clears throat> mental illness. Uh, crisis intervention is a big buzzword now, right? Crisis intervention is, is mandatory. So we get, so autism gets a 20 minute segment during this eight hour block of instruction on crisis intervention, which is insulting. It's, 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 um, it doesn't begin to cover it. And what happens is, and my message to chiefs, and I do this as diplomatically as I can, uh, is chiefs, I'm glad, I'm glad your, your guys got crisis intervention training. It's, it's critical. Thank you. Uh, but listen to me. Your officers are showing up to these calls and 95% of their interactions with these individuals are not crises. They're not. They're their typical motor vehicle stops, interviewing somebody, uh, traffic accidents, suspicious person calls. They're not crises. So all of these triggers where you're going to dispatch the regional crisis intervention team to go hand, those triggers aren't getting tripped, chief. And here's the secret. Your guys are showing up misreading the situation, mm -hmm. misunderstanding that officer. And guess what they're doing, chief? They're creating the crisis. So instead of uh, intervention, we should be looking at understanding this prior to it becoming a crisis so we don't have to intervene, mm -hmm. right? And I can teach you guys that. I can teach simple insights into what this is, what this isn't um, for their own self, selfish motivations that it will make them, make them more efficient at their job. Get through that call. Go get your coffee. I mean, think of the monetary investment. We talk about this, and this, this correlates to this as well. Uh, you'll cry poverty, but I said it to you before we started. I show a video in class. I say, this is how you spend 150 grand in two minutes. Yeah. And it's a, it's a false arrest in Florida where a girl sees a man walking with a walking stick. And I'm sorry if you listen to the podcast. I know that you probably are a fan of ours. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. And I actually defend you in my classes. I say, this is not your fault. You were literally sent to a training failure to a field training failure and you were failed by your supervisor who also didn't know what he was doing and thank god was demoted and that guy can hear me you unfortunately it's a tough lesson to learn but when you took chevrons you probably should know basic fourth amendment case law that's just me i don't know maybe i'm crazy uh and that agency i'm sure paid out a hundred and a quarter to one hundred fifty thousand. so you could have taken that money and invested and avoided maybe even in arizona and again that guy's not at fault uh there's a training failure and and the fact of the matter is it's a political failure because you now spent how much in civil defense in hiring a target? Probably four or five hundred grand. Easy. Where you could have taken that, hired somebody like this, invested whatever it would have cost to invest it, and you wouldn't even have won the black eye. And two, you had the training you needed, and you would have avoided all the, the civil litigation. It's it's absolutely wild and it's flabbergasting. And just to prove to people, because you're triggering a lot of thoughts and ideas in my head, how bad the training is. And people get frustrated when these when these guys hear that the guys who run the training stuff, they hear things like this, oh, it makes them nuts. I probably hear from five to 10 people after every class that I teach, dude, I learned more in a day 
here than I did it in six months in academy and 12 weeks in field training. So when you say to me, how bad is the fucking program for training? Why is somebody getting more out of my class in 10 days than they didn't get in almost, what, eight months, nine months of, tr- of actual what they consider training? How do you come to a 10-day program? So when you say, what kind of products do you guys have? Well, ones that are so good that we can get you more out of your fucking, out of your day. I actually think you can go to Police Academy for a week and get more of it a six-month program, a week of actual good context, right? Give me a week with a guy, and I'll give you a better trained police officer than the guy who goes for six, seven, eight, four, five months to a police academy. I know that for a fact. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I said I personally have a an added challenge to everything you just said, which is 100% accurate, is my topic isn't sexy. I know. My topic is not something, you know, guys are clamoring, banging their, their training officer's door down to get to your class because it's narcotics intervention, advanced tactics, uh, you know, things that are going to make them like enjoy the job, be better at it. Here I am, some schmuck from New Jersey teaching autism. Guys aren't, guys aren't knocking down the door to get to mine, right? Dude, we have it here. I mean, like, look, we have, <clears throat> it's the same, I understand the psyche behind it. And unfortunately, I think you need to get politicians and, and higher, higher command, very high command, on board with this. And and the sad part is it may not be until something happens. That's the tragic yeah, part. I know. Right? And uh, I just talked to a girl yesterday who was involved in a in a drowning scenario and I don't want to bring it up. And she said, you know, and, and it's bad. One cop lost his life, kids lost their lives. I did a video recently about water rescue training. And I wrote back to her and said, you know, it's funny that you wrote to me because the world is a weird place. This your incident I'm very familiar with because I taught a class up there. When that happened, and I was right, right around that time when it occurred, I was just, that's where I knew where it was. And I said, that was part of my motivation for doing that video. Of course, I was criticized by a few fucking weirdos, right? Like, did you know the vest floats? I'm like, man, I don't fucking know. I'm trying to tell people to stay out of God. Listen, man, I'm doing what I took, I took some water training. I'm giving you some principles of how to stay alive. And she wrote to me, you know, now everybody gets water rescue training. Now our cars have gear in the back. So a police officer, a father of how many kids he had, and children had to die before somebody could forecast why we needed to do this. It's it's flabbergasting. It's wild. I don't know if you ever get away from that, though. I think that's human nature. I think uh, can, tragedy brings stuff. change. I understand, yeah, but you can yeah, forecast yeah, shit, yeah. dude. You know what I mean? Like, I can forecast. What, what do we experience? Man, there's a serious situation here that we can alleviate. I'm probably one of the most... Dude, I'm probably the most prepared motherfuckers you'll ever have seen me in your life. Like, I am prepared... Brother, like you would think I'm I'm nuts. I'm so prepared on so many levels that sometimes my wife's like, yo, uh, you all right in the fucking head? <laughs> and I'm like, look, dude, I'm trying to like, you know, sometimes it's like, do we really need this? I'm like, I hope we never do. But um, if there's ever time that we do, you're gonna be real thankful that I have this. I mean, you go in my truck right now. If we went out there, uh, my truck, dude, I, I, I have like a rescue shovel, right? Like <laughs> the fucking, like a, like a survival shovel. I have a fire extinguisher in my truck. I have uh, a trauma kit. I have tourniquets. I have, uh, dude, I have a first aid kit. I have like, dude, I have, you'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But the reality is, bro, I see myself maybe just maybe coming across a vehicle catching fire, kids stuck inside, and me not spending the 30 bucks. I have a throw bag in my car, right? Because like, I have been just, I travel a lot. I'm on the road a lot. I saw a truck fire uh, last year. I was traveling somewhere. You got one trucker running. They're trying to put this fire out on this truck. And I'm like, I don't have a fucking fire. I could have helped. I had a fire extinguisher in the car. 
we had had this thing under control. So you got one now. Oh yeah, I'm not making it up. I'll walk outside, <laughs> I'll show you my stuff. But my point is, is that's the kind of person that I am. So yeah. I can forecast what I think we're gonna need. Yeah. And I would even make suggestions to our to our training, uh, I'm sorry, to our police department. And they're just like, hmm. And then, you know, four weeks, five, eight weeks later, I'm like, imagine if we would have had the thing that I suggested that we have. We wouldn't have to wait fucking 15 minutes and this person wouldn't be dead. But now we're going to keep hush, hush, hush about this because we can't get into the window because we got to wait for a fucking fire department to get here in an agency or a town that has literally one paid and 93 fucking fire agencies that are volunteers. So it takes them 28 minutes to get to everything. Dude, you know how many times people are just like, where is the fire department? I'm like, write a letter to your mayor. <laughs> because they're volunteers and they won't relinquish. I, you'd have the one town, like we'd have, we had nine subsections. If this fa fell into the jurist, this is how nuts this fucking, this shit is. If the fire fell into the jurisdiction of these guys here, they made such a stink because the paid guys would get sent over to fucking fight it. You have the paid guys sitting across the highway waiting to be dispatched. And I'm like, can we send the paid guys over? Like, cause this house is cooking. And they're like, uh, no, we got to wait till, you know, engine seven says they can't make it. I've had people on many occasions like, where's the fire department? I'm like, right, you're mayor. I think if, if, if people just learn, be self-aware enough to know what you're good at, fix that problem, and then make people know you exist. Individually, one by one, you know, your guys, great highway interdiction, all right, do it. And, but marketing of this, you know, marketing's an entire different I skill I think what set. you gotta do, Jerry, I gotta be honest, the whole time here is, always the purpose is bigger than, 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 the, than the money. We're a business, we have to procure revenue, it's the lifeblood. I have employees that need, yeah. I have to make money, folks. Um, so, you know, people who say that to me, like, oh, well, you know, if it's so important, why do you charge money for it? Would you like it to get to more people or no, right? Because we're able to get to more people because I can employ a lot more people. So I think what you have to do, and what we do a lot of, is probably make a free training video for an hour yes. and just send it out to everybody. Because what better way to, Say, look, here's an hour. I, you, what you guys are going through is crap. Please give a fuck, and here is an hour. It's funny you said that, Dennis. And I didn't. we didn't talk about this before we got here, but I, I have this set up already. Forget the hour. I will give away my training free to everybody right now. All you gotta do is go to my page, click on uh, purchase one single seat, and put in the coupon code STREETCOP. Set up, 100% free, right? Now, I'm not an idiot. What I'm banking on Hey, you need the training. Hey, you, you need the training. If I'm an asshole, you got 10 minutes to shut it off. I'll never know, right? But what I'm banking on is you're going to stick with me. You're going to watch my online course. You're going to be there for three hours. And then when you're done, I want you to just do me the solid. Please bring it to your chief. The best hey, cop chief. is the most well-rounded cop, right? Absolutely, man. But but it's not only, you're not doing this as a service to your community. And that's noble. I get that. This is, you have a vested interest in learning this stuff. It's going to keep you out of trouble, right? It's going to keep you from getting sued. Um. And my, and my bank is that when you go through this and I, and I, listen, I have guys come to me and say, listen, your class was the best class I have ever been in. And you don't, I, I teach autism awareness mm -hmm. to cops, right? You don't know, right? What, why it's so important to know. You're going to run into this. You are going to, it, the numbers are what they are. 2.2% of the population today, that's, that's one in 25, right? And I think that number is way low. You count, go, go, leave. When you leave here, start counting the people you run into. Stop for coffee, stop for dinner, stop for gas. 25 people, of those 25 people, one of those guys are on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And what happens is while we're on a job, we're stopping cars, we're doing interviews, we're, we're you know, not trained. Up. We're just not trained for it. And it's registering as something different. Right, but you're not trained for it. You're not, mm -hmm. you're not able to, and that's uh, the best cop is the most well-rounded cop. You are, you, you, I, you know, listen, and I, this is not just me. The best men and women that I ever worked with I could see them be the toughest person you needed to be, 
and hold the fucking baby, not because they had to, because they just did, grab a kid, pick him up literally 10 minutes later, and have a completely different hat on, mm -hmm. and then go into a different thing, and a different thing, and a first date. These were the best. So you are not the best cop unless you are a well-rounded cop. Um, and unfortunately, we're going to have to end here because I have a two o'clock that I have to go to this thing for Important my second. meeting. Yeah, or we do this again. Uh, and yeah, we can no. do it again. I, I, I come back. Uh, I'm out of the country for a little bit before we end it. I mean, we're not stopping recording at this point. Where can they find more stuff about you and this and Facebook and Instagram and blogs? Anything you want to promote. Obviously, we're here to give you a hand. Well, dude, I, I truly, truly appreciate it. And and, I, and just given the caliber of people you talk to, it, it means a lot to me that you would have me on here to do this. I don't this. think that those people, to be honest with you, think that they are some caliber. No, they I probably don't. don't. They don't. They're not, I do. I think, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. We don't invite people on this show unless we believe in what they're doing. You know, people want to come on. And I'm just like, eh, you're not going to cut it. It doesn't do with your name or people know you. It's what the purpose is. And do we believe in what you do? I, I yeah. thank you. Yeah. I truly appreciate that. And honestly, but, dude, I mean, just it just happens to be that I have a special needs brother. Just happens to be. Uh, www.bluebridgetraining.com. Uh, find me on Facebook, Bluebridge Training. Um, my main my main uh, uh, face is on Facebook. Um, my personal my personal blog and Facebook is called uh, Bacon and Juice Boxes. That's where I talk about my family and my autism uh, journey there. Let's do this. The next the next <clears throat> time you come back on, because I have to piss and then do this call, and I have like literally not ten seconds left. Let's come back with literally, let's do a one hour class awesome, and I'll dude. interview you. So we'll do 10 things essentially that police need to know about autism awareness and we'll get out to the half a million subscribers. Crush it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Yeah, and then absolutely. We'll, be, we'll, we'll put it on Instagram and fucking Facebook and we'll make our own little training video here. Thousand percent. Yeah. I love that. Good idea. Right. Dennis, thank you. Dude, you're the best, bro. No, 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 no. Thank you. You're the best. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher. So you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum, going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.